Hello, I'm Jim White and welcome once again to It's Friday, your arts and culture guide to this weekend. Coming up, yes, it's yet another Jane Austen adaptation, but this one stars some very recognisable faces. Mother, you must sample the tart. And the pop-punk outfit Green Day have returned after a long layoff. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google and Spotify and leave us a review. But first, it's Valentine's Day, so we're going to find out what our experts reckon is the best and the worst screen romance of all time. Joining me to share their opinions are the Daily Mail's film critic Brian Viner and the Mail's TV critic Claudia Connell. Let's start with this one. It may be one of Britain's best love romance films, but is it actually more vom-vom than rom-com? And without knowing it, I've gone and spent most of my adult life with a a chubby employee. (laughs) And and much as it grieves me to say it, it, it might be that the people I love is, in fact, you. Brian, just the, the sound of Bill Nye seems to be turning you a bit green there. Uh, no, actually, do you know what? The, although I'm very much in the vom-vom corner, <laughs> Bill Nye is one of, the, one of the good things in it, you know, and there are, there are good things in it, but it nevertheless, I think, is one of, well, certainly one of my least favourite why, Brian? Why? What's what's it done wrong? So to, what's it done sacri- to you? Oh, so many reasons. It's so saccharine. It's so schmaltzy. It's so kind of engineered. That the the Hugh Grant, Martin McCutcheon. Oh, it just makes me turn green at the Come gills. Come on, Claudia, leap to its uh, defence. Well, I did defend it at Christmas time. I don't know if you remember. I I don't <laughs> think it's the you know I don't think it's the the worst rom com I've seen by by a long stretch. I think there are n- nice little individual stories. I think there are some good performances. Yeah, I'll watch it when it's on at Christmas. Okay, I'm going to raise the stakes here. So it's been bad enough that we've had. Let's go one one further. One of the most epic love stories of all times. And I suspect even Brian Viner couldn't (laughs) fail to be stirred by scenes like this. Hold on. Keep your eyes closed. (laughs) Don't pretend that there's not a tear in your eye as Leonardo DiCaprio <laughs> leads Kate Winslet to the fore deck of uh, Titanic. There's there's not a tear in my eye, Jim, actually. No, no, I'm resolutely dry-eyed. I mean, I think it is very cheesy. Somebody once summed up the, the denouement as, in five words as, what is it, Rose Jack, Jack Rose glug you know, and, that's a, <laughs> and I think that kind of sums it up you know and the oh and that that fiance of, of the Kate Winslet character who's so over the top and so such a you know such a stereotype and um, I, you know yes there are good things in it and, and I'm you know I think DiCaprio and Kate Winslet are terrific in in their way but um, I just thought it was incredibly cheesy I don't think it's dated yeah. well actually it's oh, always maybe. on the telly Claudia, it, it, it was on quite recently actually and I I, I sort of recorded it and I've just found myself fast forwarding to the bit where they both die then, oh actually no <laughs> yeah. only, only he dies harsh. actually he dies doesn't she she, she survives no she lives on yeah, very, she very long on. way she, she lives on, on to board. about 120 well, she yeah, she? Right, yeah. so I was thinking that last time I saw it she must be about 110 <laughs> in the final scene because she was about 20 in 1920 
2012 when it sinks and yeah. there they are in sort of 1997 and she's yeah. still running around the deck I know ridiculous yeah yeah so that it doesn't chucking the her diamonds overboard yeah. Yeah. oh it's so, it's so cheesy <laughs> yeah. okay okay let's let's cut to the chase then what actually makes a, a, a good rom-com for you Brian well I think I mean I think one of the things that they, they both those films do try and do which is what you have to do is is have an element of, of love being thwarted love being you know difficult for whatever reason they're big obstacles and the, both those movies that we've talked about try to do that they just in my opinion don't do it very well or very convincingly but I think yeah I think for a really good romance has to have there has to be a problem you know there has to be is it's either a you know there's another partner or there's you know miles apart or there's a class difficulty or a racial difficulty or something like that I think that's what makes good really good romances I, I think one of the best uh, that there's been uh, is uh, when Harry met Sally it has great moments where the divisions are as much as uh, as, as great as when they come together yes 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 oh 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 Oh, God. Oh. I'll have what she's having. <laughs> well, Claudia, I'll just reiterate that that was um, her faking it in, in public <laughs> in the cafe uh, yeah. scene in When Harry Met Sally. One of your favourites? Does it work for you? Yeah, I, I, I love When Harry Met Sally. I think it's one it was the first really good sort of rom-coms that preceded all of the Meg Ryan ones that followed, like, you know, Sleepless in Seattle and You've Got Mail. But this one, I think, was the, yeah, the best of the lot. So why? Is it because, is it uh, as Brian pointed out, that, that there was this division between them in the first place? Yes, it was. It, I think you just liked them and you rooted for them and you wanted good things for them and you wanted them to be together and they were two really great comedy performances and also good supporting cast as well um, like Carrie Fisher was in this and she was great as, as, as the best friend and it was yeah it's, it's I, I don't think it, that film has dated actually have you no, seen it recently I, Brian? I haven't seen it recently but I do love it I mean, I'm yeah. completely with Claudia on that and I'll tell you a funny story about the the famous moment I, you know I wondered what clip you might play Jim and I, I had yeah. a feeling uh, <laughs> uh, but um, yeah that famous one of the most famous moments in the movies really it's it so wonderful but Rob Reiner the director was concerned when they were rehearsing that script, that scene that uh, Meg Ryan wasn't she was kind of underplaying it so Rob Reiner said no 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 let me show you so he sat opposite Billy Crystal and he and he faked it and so Billy Crystal had to sit across a table from a big sweaty <laughs> bearded man listening to him faking this uh, sexual delirium uh, until and, and it was that way that, that Meg Ryan watching him finally got it right and boy does she get it right yeah. <laughs> mind you I think personally uh, you know you've got to go way back um, 80 years to probably the finest of all screen romances but what about us we'll always have Paris we didn't have we we lost it until you came to Casablanca we got it back last night he's looking at you kid he's looking at you kid uh, Claudia from Casablanca does it come finer than that? No, it's, it's, it's a really lovely, beautiful moment. It's just classy, isn't it? It's just kind of, yeah. What makes it, Brian? Oh, so much. Great script, great acting, um, great direction. Michael Curtis, not to be confused with Richard Curtis. <laughs> <laughs> Something in a name. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and Ingrid Bergman, so beautiful, kind of smouldering on the screen. Also, I think black and white, helps to make it I you know I think some of those around about the same time a few years later a brief encounter was is another 
kind of classic in a different sort of way also black and white and i think that just adds an element of something to those those great old romances but it's so it's just and again you know it's about thwarted thwarted love thwarted passion you know humphrey bogart loves her he can't have her well they never come together in the yeah, end i mean yeah. that is but the ultimate romance, paris, isn't it? they'll always have paris yeah so That's many true. great lives as, Such as, a, as we you know, will always as have, we will always have um, this well, moment yeah. and um, i'll just uh, warn mrs viner that uh, tonight's dinner might be in black and white <laughs> uh, thanks very much to brian and to claudia Now, as the author of 25 best-selling romance novels and hailed as today's answer to Jane Austen, it comes as no surprise that Katie Ford believes falling in love is the best thing in the world. It's her wish for all of her characters to experience it, and her latest novel, A Springtime Affair, is no exception. Katie, on this special Valentine's edition of It's Friday, I think it's only right that I ask you, what inspires your romances? There has to be, obviously, two characters who, for me, they have to obviously be able to sustain a marriage. It's, I'm not interested in people who are just going to be happy for a one-night stand at the end of my book. They have to be able to sustain a long-term relationship. There has to be a bit of struggle. They have to prove they love each other through suffering a little bit on the way to getting together. You know, if they just meet at, at a party and then go out a few times and then get married and live happy ever after, that isn't a novel. That isn't very exciting. I mean, it's probably lovely, <laughs> but it's not exciting. <laughs> And in your latest novel, you've got mother and daughter both going for romance. Jilly and Helena are both uh, going for it. Um, is this based on anything that's happened to you in the past? I mean, did you and your mum have sort of competitive dating relationships? Oh, no. I mean, in fact, the thought of having a competitive dating relationship with my daughter, I find quite... Um, <laughs> turning to be honest but um to be fair my characters were set but neither of them were in relations relationships and i do think it must have been quite hard for helena when she realized that her mother who she's seen as as a mother and she's supported her as a mother and that's lovely is suddenly a woman in her own right wanting to have a relationship i mean that is quite a sort of learning curve i think for a daughter and are they very different people, mother and daughter, or are they effectively the same character? Well, they're not totally different, but they're not entirely the same either. But they've been through a lot together, which makes them extra bonded to each other because there was a difficult divorce and Helena was there and she saw what her mother went through. And I think that tightened the bond more than just a sort of a normal, um, if there is such a thing, um, relationship where, you know, if mummy and daddy still stay together, then, it, you know, the daughter hasn't seen her mother suffer in that way and it you know, wouldn't feel so quite so protective as Helena does about her mother. Well, one thing that people love about your books is that each one um, is set in a, with a different profession. The people involved are uh, working in different areas, and, and, and that always gives a fantastic insight. In, in this one, we've got a estate agent, a weaver, a, a B&B owner. This is satisfying your kind of job envy when you get involved in oh, a book like so this. It absolutely does. I realised, I did realise actually when I was about 50, that even if I could, um, you know, I would never get a job as a girl Friday in a racing stable because, you know, even if I didn't know anything about horses because I was 50. Obviously, I'm more than 50 now, just obviously just a few months more than 50, <laughs> a joke. Um, 
but I can still be all those things through my books. I can learn other professions and see what it's like. For example, I've never really wanted to run a bed and breakfast, but I've stayed in a lot of them. So I sort of know what um, I would have in my perfect bed and breakfast. So I can give um, my character, Helena, can, uh, um, Jilly, can have the perfect bed and breakfast. She can make it as I would have had it if I was staying at a perfect bed and breakfast. So it is a sort of way of, as you say, um, getting over the job envy. I always want every job I see advertised, unless it involves accountancy, in which case I'm not so keen. But otherwise, I always think, oh, what would that be like? You know, would that be fun? And probably, you know, 99.9% of them would be horrendous. But um, I do just love having other jobs through my books. But, but, Katie, surely there's no better job than being a romantic fiction writer, is there? Well, no, there isn't really. But sometimes you just want to see what it would be like to be an estate agent or, you know, work in an auction house or be a picture restorer or any of those things. Because it is always interesting seeing another side of life. And that's what being a writer does for me, which is why it is the best job, is because it gives me glimpses into those other lives um, without the boring bits. Katie, do you have the copy of your uh, book to hand? You could just read us a couple of pars, could you? Well, I have, as it happens, and I'm very happy to do that. Um, I'd like to start at chapter one, which introduces the younger character, Helena. Helena was not happy. She'd nearly finished weaving a throw in quite a complicated pattern, only to be interrupted by a knock at the door. But as she had an idea who was knocking, she didn't feel she could ignore it. So, retying the scarf that was holding her hair back from her face, she got up from her loom, went to the door and opened it. Yes, she said to the man standing there. He was surprisingly large and dressed in jeans, rugby shirt, and what Helena thought of as builder's boots. He was covered in dust and was smiling ruefully, possibly to make himself seem less unthreatened. Sorry, can I do that bit again? Possibly to make himself seem unthreatening. I'm terribly sorry to disturb you, he said, pushing his dusty blonde hair out of his eyes, but I have an animal emergency. I need someone a bit smaller than me. He cast his eyes rapidly up and down her, and you're a lot smaller. You'd be perfect. His smile was crooked and had a tinge of anxiety which made him hard to resist. See, that's fantastic. Thank you so much. I'm, I'm going to go and buy a copy. That's brilliant. Thanks so much for joining us today. That's okay, been great. Lovely to speak to you. Now it's time for Hits and Misses, where our critics don't hold their punches. They tell us what they really think about this week's new releases. And first up is the uh, Daily Mail's film critic, Brian Viner. Uh, What have you been watching, Brian? Well, I have been watching yet another adaptation of Jane Austen, uh, this time Emma, which which stars Anya Taylor-Joy, a terrific up-and-coming actress who uh, listeners may well be familiar with as Emma Woodhouse, who I think probably was one of Jane Austen's least lovable heroines. She's very sort of meddlesome, and she's trying to matchmake all the time. So she's this this sort of rich, rather complacent young woman who who sort of almost ruins the life of her young companion, who's much more low-born, Harriet Smith, played by Mia Goth very well. And so that's, that, that's really the, that's the story of Emma, and I think we have a clip. Oh, now, Jane... Mr. Frank Churchill is a man much talked about in Highbury. Is he not, Miss Woodhouse? We are all very eager to meet him. He was at Weymouth when Jane was there. 
we are very little acquainted. That was Miranda Hart uh, yeah. giving full both barrels, I think, yeah, uh, in the midst yeah. of it. We're talking about romance on, on, on this. Episode. Um, yeah. the, the thing about Jane Austen is that romance effectively meant getting married at yes. the end of the, of the book. Um, does that still yeah. tally? Does that still work in an era where marriage isn't quite the institution it used to be? Well, I, I think, I mean, it's apt in a way that this comes out on Valentine's Day, this this movie, because, you know, it is, it is romantic. But does Jane Austen really work within the framework of a film, of a two-hour feature film? I'm not sure. I think it needs to be allowed not that i'm calling for any more adaptations on tv claudia for heaven heaven <laughs> for offend but um we've had quite enough of those but i think maybe television does just more justice to, to jane austen because these relationships have to be allowed to develop and all the social nuance has to you know you know it takes time so but nevertheless despite all of that uh, i like this film it's uh, it looks wonderful it's made by a, a woman called with the marvelous name of autumn de wild uh, who is an American music video director, and you would expect it to look very good, and it does, uh, and it's, there's great music in it as well. She evokes Regency England actually really, really well, and there are lots of very, very good performances. It's, it's, it's very likeable. I think Jane Austen, or Jane Knights, as they're, I think, known might quibble with a bit of the casting i think the frank churchill character in the in the book is supposed to be drop dead gorgeous and i didn't think he really he is in the in the film particularly no disrespect to callum turner who plays him also you know although she's funny and there is there's quite a bit of comedy in all this bill nye incidentally plays emma's father mr woodhouse and Miranda Hart, is she quite right as Miss Bates? I mean, the jury will be out amongst Jay Knights, but but I think I, I thought she added, you know, some fun to it. So all in all, Brian, hit or so miss? So all in all, uh, I would say it's a hit. Uh, and what else uh, in this week of romance for you, Brian? Well, there's the very unromantic-sounding Sonic the Hedgehog, uh, Jim, which... Uh, <laughs> a computer <you're>, game, isn't <laughs> it? It is, yeah. And, you know, my blood slightly runs cold at... Uh, the thought of yet another movie adaptation of a video game franchise which is what this is i mean there have been a few a few good ones over the years i suppose but uh you know the lara croft the tomb raider films were, were okay and uh but here we go again and so you know sonic is a as you'll have gathered is a is a um a hedgehog a japanese uh from the japanese video game franchise he's a sort of intergalactic hedgehog who can move at the speed of light or sound or something uh and he lands in a small town in america funny how aliens always <laughs> seem to land in america they never land in switzerland or azerbaijan or whatever but uh, anyways yeah, yes he lands in america he causes what the americans call a big power outage i think we'd call it a power cut the government come to investigate they put a a sort of dastardly professor on the case played by Jim Carrey, and I think we might have a clip. I shouldn't even be on this planet right now, but I am. Why? Because you shot me. I know. You shot me! All right, I heard you the first time. You don't have to pile it on. Good grief. I'm wet. I'm cold. There's a fish on my head. And clearly, I'm not going to be able to do this on my own. 
also clearly, I would imagine um, this isn't a hedgehog playing a hedgehog. So how have they got that central yeah, part? So, is that, so a, the, is that an animation? Yeah, or? that's CGI. Yeah, so the so the hedgehog it doesn't look remotely like a hedgehog. And actually, <laughs> this is a troubled production because the trailers. It was supposed to be released last year. When the the trailers came out, there was a, such a hue and cry among fans of uh, Sonic, saying that it looked nothing like Sonic was supposed to look. So this apparently is the is the second go at it, and they're all quite happy. But I was sitting there thinking. Doesn't look like any hedgehog I've ever <laughs> accidentally, you know. And, and, and all in all, Brian. <laughs> so, um, yeah, and Jim Carrey gets, you know, he, he's, he's less off the leash and allowed to be as, as weird as apparently Claudia was telling me he was on the Grave Norton show the other night. So, uh, yeah, for me, uh, a miss. And Adrian Thrills, the Daily Mail's music critic. Before we start on this week's releases, Adrian, it is the height of romance. What do you reckon is the most romantic song of all time? The most romantic ever. I mean, I've got a few personal favourites. I love Something by the Beatles. Something in the way she woos me I don't want to leave her now George Harrison's song that Frank Sinatra, no less an authority than Frank, said was the best love song written in 50 years and went on to cover it. Another personal favourite, I love Nick of Time by Bonnie Raitt. Maps by the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs. And the worst. One recent song that um, really uh, really gets on my nerves is, is One Direction's Little Things. I know you've never loved The crinkles by your eyes When you smile you've never loved Your stomach or your thighs The dimples in your back At the bottom of your spine But I'll love them endlessly Written by Ed Sheeran and sung these lines sung by Harry Styles You never want to know how much you weigh You still have to squeeze into your jeans Which I don't That's think is not the really most romantic it's, line it's, it's I've ever heard. It's not the way to woo the love of no, your life, it isn't. is it? it? No, not having that, Harry. Or Ed, indeed. So what have you been listening to this week, Adrian? So this week, there's a new album by a, a New York trio called Puss and Boots, an album called Sister, which is out today. And that's the latest side project by Nora Jones, who, of course, she made her name as this, this kind of tender jazz singer who swept all before her in 2002 with her first album, Come Away With Me, which won, I think, nine Grammys and went on to, to make her a, a huge global star. She became so ubiquitous that even even her mother referred to her jokingly as Snorer. <laughs> but um, I think it was all, all in jest. And her, her second album sold 12 million. And it's, it's what you do when you've had such overwhelming success with your first two records, sold more copies than most artists could dream of in a lifetime. I guess you branch out and start doing different things. And her her career since then has been a series of of experimental records that are maybe not quite as successful, but but also really rewarding. She's she's worked with Dave Grohl of the Foo Fighters. She made an album with Danger Mouse, the dance producer, and now she's she's put together this all female trio called Puss and Boots and their new album Sister. As I said, it's it's a really nice country album it's kind of country folk americana with some really nice song with a mixture of covers and originals and i think we're going to hear one now i saw an angel i saw my fate 
already beating One Direction's uh, attempt at think, romance. Yeah, in keeping with our Valentine's theme. That's a lovely that's, song. It's actually a cover, that one. That's a cover of, um, of Tom Petty's Angel Dream, which was taken from the soundtrack of a 1996 rom-com called She's the One, starring Jennifer Aniston. So it's, it's a lovely... I love the tone of her voice. She's got that really sultry, languid tone. And the originals on the album really stand up as well. And it's just great to hear her singing. And uh, so, hit or miss? It's a hit, absolutely. And what else, Adrian? And the other album is by Green Day, their new album, Father of All. Oh, um, the punks are back. The punks are back, yeah, the kind of late 40-something punks <laughs> are, are trying to... The kind re- of band I've heard of, yeah, thanks, Adrian. Yeah, trying to kind of relive their punky youth with, uh, with, with a new record that... It's very much, even for Green Day, it's back to basics, I'm afraid. it's They, they really haven't... It, it's almost like if they'd released this record after Dookie, which was their big 1994 breakout song, you'd think, oh, this band, they, they're not really going anywhere. But of course, in the interim, they, they have really gone somewhere. And I think American Idiot, which was turned into a Broadway musical, was a really bold step. And the sequel to American Idiot, 21st Century Breakdown, was an album of, of real adventure and flair. But um, but with this one, it's 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 very much back to basics. It's a garage rock album, and I think we're going to hear a track now. Familiar, I would say, yeah, is the yeah, term I mean, that's, for that. That's one of the better tracks, actually. I really, I quite like that one. It's a kind of really kind of high school bop punky pop track some of the others it's like they're trying to do what the white stripes did 15 years ago and just do a really as billy joe armstrong the singer says it's it's a dirty messy record and sometimes a bit too dirty and messy for my liking it's uh, it's the, the it's a bit murky the vocals are a bit indistinct in places and i guess maybe it's what 40 something punks do as they uh, <laughs> at a loose end they, they just try to messy. they try to revisit their youth there's a, there's a track called i was a teenage teenager please you know it's um <laughs> Yeah, I love Green Day and I'm really looking forward to their tour. I think the stadium tour in the summer should be really good, but um, not this one, I'm afraid. So hit or miss? It's a miss. Now the last of this week's hits and misses. This time what's coming up on the small screen with Claudia Connell, the Daily Mail's TV critic. Familiar territory, it sounds like, uh, Claudia. Uh, the return of a, a well-trodden series. Yes, Homeland is is back. Um, Homeland started nine years ago. It's a US drama about international espionage and it was just phenomenal, groundbreaking TV when it first started. It's back on Sunday for what's an eighth and final series and I think we have a clip. I don't know if you're aware that the world's gone now since you left. Then you go for an important mission. I'm a Russian agent apparently. I'll take my chances. The eighth and final series. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you make it sound as though it should have gone a bit before this, do you think? It it really went off the boil. The first three series were 
incredible and it was it was always on on a Sunday night and you came into work on a Monday and it's all anybody was ever talking about it really went wrong when they they killed off Damien Lewis as Brody and it started to sort of go downhill after that so what you don't want is you don't want it to go out on a flat note you want them to really sort of to, to pick it up it's, it's actually two years since it was last on TV so you really need that previously on Homeland <laughs> that they reminder that you get at the beginning it ended last series ended with Carrie being captured by the Russians and thrown into a Russian prison where she spent seven months and Carrie's bipolar so they took her medication off her which made her a very loose cannon when we pick this series up she's in a military hospital in America and but she's failing her polygraph test which makes it makes the CIA wonder if she's been turned by the Russians. Yeah, it's always uh, about sleepers. There's always yes, someone who's yeah. a sleeper or embedded, isn't mm, there? So yes. they've got to keep on coming up with new places to embed them, I suppose. Well, in, in this, Saul is now the um, the president's chief security advisor, and he's trying to broker a peace deal in Afghanistan. And he decides that the only person that can help with this deal is Carrie, the world's most unstable spy. <laughs> so he, um, he goes to the hospital to sort of break her out and fly her to Afghanistan, where she she sort of dips into her big box of disguises. Uh, Claudia, hit or miss. Well, you. you know what? I, I, the first episode, it's a feature length episode, the first one. And I, I did enjoy it. I, I think they're, they're trying really hard. So because I've got such affection for the first half of it, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep the faith and say that it's a hit. That's the most grudging hit I've ever heard on this uh, <laughs> podcast. Uh, and what else have you been watching, Claudia? Harry Redknapp, the uh, the former football manager, he was crowned um, <coughs> King of the Jungle and I'm a Celebrity Get Me Out of Here about two years ago. And now he stars in his own reality show called Harry Redknapp's Sandbanks Summer. It's a bit of a tongue twister. And it starts this coming Wednesday on ITV. And here's a clip. A unique insight into the most exclusive beachfront in Britain. Pull your pants up. This ain't South End, you know. When you're nothing and you've grown up like that you appreciate things more didn't you <laughs> we're both giggling at that is that i mean is it a laugh a minute well it is funny but i you know you, it, it is the whole laughing at them not with them i'm afraid it's, but he's got um, a lot of charm Harry. he's I mean, really that's, charming you know, he's really charismatic and you know you can see why he won i'm a celebrity because he was being himself and he's and also you saw this really softer side to him when it came to his relationship with his wife sandra they've been married for 51 years and and what itv have done is they've tried to sort of bring both elements the kind of like the the, the cheeky chappy but also the devoted husband and does it work well the, the problem is that it it's like a lot of reality tv it, it's quite scripted so he's not being natural is not being himself they do things like they make him go to the Bournemouth Air show and he clearly he has absolutely no interest in going to the Bournemouth Air show they also they it's about his celebrity friends so in the first episode uh, Neil Razor Ruddock and Joe Pasquale come and visit him but for, for no <laughs> real reason tuning in. it's yes <laughs> it's <laughs> But it sounds as though you're tuning out. Hit or miss? Oh, it's, you know, I, I do love Harry Redknapp and there may well be a great TV show for him, but this is not it. So it's it's a miss. Well, now you know what's worth seeing and really what isn't worth bothering Alexa about. My thanks to Brian, Adrian and Claudia. Now, as it's Valentine's Day, let's head across the Atlantic and find out how they celebrate the day in New York with the woman who knows, the male's own Jackie Stephen. Hello, Jackie. Hello, how are you? I'm very good. Uh, this week, of course, Oscars. Did you um, did you get any romance at the Oscars? No, sadly. Again, Brad Pitt was just was not interested in me. <laughs> 
But he was gorgeous. It was all a bit downhill after that, but I thought he was absolutely fabulous. I was so thrilled that he won. So uh, it's presumably as big an event in New York as it is in in England, is it, uh, Valentine's Day? Well, how do the celebs uh, celebrate it? Well, for the celebrities, it's less a love boat than a sinking ship <laughs> because so many relationships just fall seem to fall apart on Valentine's Day. The actor Taylor Kinney proposed to Lady Gaga uh, on Valentine's Day in 2015. They split July 2016. Uh, Elton John married the German lady Renata on Valentine's Day in 1984. Well, we all know how that turned out. But there are some success stories. Harrison Ford proposed to Callista Flockhart, Valentine's Day 2009. They're still together. And so there are some pleasant stories. But the big one we all are waiting for, and this was after the Oscars as well, are Brad Pitt and Jennifer Aniston going to get together again? Because they were married, and at the SAG Awards backstage, there was a, a bit of a connection between them, and she caught up with him again at the Oscars. And as it's a leap year, is Jen going to proposed to Brad. If you can get in the way first, obviously not. Yeah, back at the queue, Jen, love. <laughs> I mean, is there, a, is there a real chance there, or is this just a bit of uh, newspaper fodder? I think that Hollywood just loves a happy ending. Doesn't the world love a happy ending? But I don't think it's really on the cards. I think it would have happened before now. And she's already had a few other blokes under the belt, as it were, since then. So uh, I think it's unlikely. But Hollywood loves romance. And this year there's some really big romantic comedies coming out, as well as some love stories. So we can look forward to the city of love, if you like, in 2020. Uh, the big one at the end of the year is Steven Spielberg, who is directing the latest adaptation of West Side Story. So that's being hugely bigged up already as one of the biggest films of the year. Oh, wow, We've yeah, got that Jennifer is Lo to look forward to, I think. Oh, it's, yeah. it, I think it's going to be fantastic. But that's not out until December. We've got Marry Me with Jennifer Lopez and Owen Wilson. I love Owen Wilson. He's such a great leading man in romantic comedies. Uh, he put... I was about to say something very rude about him then. Let's just say he likes the ladies in real life. <laughs> and uh, this is going to be a big one as well, I think. Uh, it's about a pop star who on her wedding day finds out that her fiancé has cheated on her. So in the middle of her pop concert, she arbitrarily ma marries a stranger who is Owen Wilson. So uh, that looks like a lot of fun. And then we've got another musical-related one called Covers. Uh, Dakota Johnson is playing an aspiring music producer who works for a legendary singer. And that's set in the love story set in the Los Angeles music scene. Uh, finally, Jackie, uh, what, what about events around New York? I mean, uh, presumably you can't get a booking in any of the restaurants, unless you're Jackie Stephen, obviously, and then you're well, first on the list. Well, I'll be doing babysitting for everyone, because I've never got anyone to go to without with on Valentine's Day. And I think it's my punishment, because I once finished with a boyfriend on Valentine's Day. Possibly my only boyfriend, actually, was, was a bit cruel. But next week, very interestingly, on February the 18th, we've got National Drink Wine Day, which is an un unofficial day in the US, which celebrates the joy and health benefits of wine and given that i can never pull anyone unless i i'm either drinking wine or they're drunk i'm really looking forward to february the 18th more than the 14th that is that is something to look forward to it's the opposite of dry january then for jackie stephen <laughs> i'm having wet february <laughs> well have fun with it jackie lovely to speak to you as always lovely to talk to you and that's it from It's Friday this week. Thanks to all my guests and thank you to you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google and Spotify and leave us a review. And if you'd like to get in touch, email us at itsfriday at mailplus.co.uk. 
We'll be back next Friday and every week with your Mail Plus briefings at mailplus.co.uk. But for now, I'm Jim White. Goodbye. Goodbye.